Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking, peeps, and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Toned Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and tonight we have a good show for you. We're going to be talking with Pam Grout, who is the author of the book, E-Square. We'll be talking about energy. Um, I know some of you follow me on Facebook. If you aren't, please do. You, I still have room for friends on my personal page, Darren McDuffie, and also uh, please subscribe to the fan page, Perfectly Healthy and Toned Radio, and... Um, you will get the latest updates for the show. But more importantly, I've, I've pr- probably put out videos about two times a week, and I'm discussing different things when it comes to being on top of things, what I call vibrationally or energetically. So if you're on my personal page, you know that I share those videos. And it's something that I believe in uh, personally because it's changed my life. I've been doing some studying for about two and a half years, and a lot of things have started to change just by, excuse me, being able to shift my energy, excuse me. So again, it's about your energy, your thoughts and and your vibration. And tonight we'll be talking about that a little bit more. And before we get Pam Grout on, I just want to remind you of last week's show, like I always do, we had a very entertaining show with Dr. Peter Glidden, the MD emperor has no clothes talked a lot about a lot of different things. And even at the end of the uh, show, we talked a little bit about my old stomping ground, which was the pharmaceutical industry and how the roots of that actually started. So if you haven't listened to that video, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen to that particular audio, to that particular show, um, because you will learn a lot. Now, again, tonight we have Pam Grout on the show. And before I get her on, let me read her bio. Probably one of my more shorter bios here, and I'm grateful for that. Pam Grout is the author of 16 books, three plays, a television series, and two iPhone apps. She writes for People Magazine, I'm thinking that single.com, Huffington Post, and her travel blog, georgeclooneyslepthere.com. To find out more about Pam and her out-of-the-box life, go to her website, pamgrout.com. Pam Grout, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Darren. I'm excited for you to be on. You and I talked a little bit before we we got on, and I had to cut you off because I had to put you in the queue to start the show. But, um, again, excited to have you on. When I reached out to you, um, I didn't know if you were going to come on. You answered my email a couple of days later. So, again, I'm I'm really excited to have you on to talk about energy because this is something that I've been studying for two and a half years, and since I've implemented um, some of the things in your book and from my other studies, it's really transformed my life. And I think that people need to know about this and we'll be getting in to a little bit more about it or why we're not actually taught this and what's actually possible if we start to implement this into our lives. So again, we'll be talking a little bit more about that. But Pam, I always ask everybody to kind of share their story and how they got to where they were and how you got to start writing this book. So share your story with us. Okay. Well, I've been a writer for a long time. I was a journalist. You know, I trained in journalism in college and went on and wrote for the Kansas City Star. It's, as I like to say, it's the uh, paper that launched the careers of Walt Disney and Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> but anyway, I used to, I was a reporter there, a feature writer for the Kansas City Star. And then I've been out on my own for a really long time. I was the kind of person that didn't really do well, I guess, in a corporate-type setting or in a real structured setting. I always liked you know, being an entrepreneur, working for myself. So anyway, um, I, I became a freelance writer, and I've written for you know many publications. And as far as using these principles, these energy principles, I've used use them pretty successfully in my own life. You know, I'm a travel writer. I've been to all the continents. I've, um, you know, been able to publish a lot of really, um, you know, big names like People Magazine and the Huffington Post and a lot of places like that. And so I use these principles every day in my own life, you know, to focus on what I want to have happen. Because 
whatever we put our attention upon in life, we animate into our life experience. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, you know, what I what I like to focus on is what do I want to have happen? You know, using my imagination and trying to um, come up with what I want to have happen instead of what I think I see, you know, in the news or what I see, you know, out in the what everybody else is talking about. You know, I feel like we do create our own reality. Mm-hmm. Getting back to this, um, I know that you didn't start off as the most accomplished writer. And uh, I was wondering as I was reading the book, because I actually finished it up uh, yesterday, I started it and then I had to divert my attention somewhere else to another book. And then I came back to your book and, and really finished it yesterday. But the feeling that I got from reading the book is that the reason why you wrote the book was, was because you needed to make some changes in your own life. Am I correct in saying that? And, and, and maybe share a little bit more about that with us. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think everybody can always improve their life and get better, of course. I think that's always the case. Um, But I've always loved to be a writer. I mean, that's the thing I love to do. I love to travel and I love to write. And so... I I just put my attention on doing that. But no, I you know I've been through some some times. Um, you know I'm a single parent. I you know I've got lots of help from from my community and from my friends. And, um, but but you know so I've been through some things that some people might consider to be difficult. But um, but again I've always sort of held out for the um, you know the higher view, the bigger view. And I really believe that I'm connected to this. I mean, I think we're all connected to this power that has my back. I believe the universe has our back, and that once we let go of a lot of our beliefs, a lot of the cultural programming that we're taught coming in, that this force will show up in space. I mean, it's just, it's there. It wants to bless us. It wants to interact with us. It wants to guide us. I mean, it's there, but we have to let down our guard and let it in. And we have to, well, letting down our guard means letting go of all the old beliefs and the mental constructs that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about that, especially beliefs and how they um, kind of shape our world. But um, I kind of alluded to this when we started, but why aren't we taught this stuff? Why aren't we taught about energy and thought when we are kids? But I, I think even so, going back to kids, I kind of believed in this. But as I got older, it, I kind of threw it out the window. But why aren't we taught this as, as children or, or as more so as adults, so to speak. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because actually I believe kids come in knowing all of this, mm-hmm. and I think they get it taught out of them. I think they yeah. learn these other mental constructs. I tell this story in E-Cube. It's like my very favorite story. It's about the little four-year-old boy, and his parents had just had brought home a new baby sister. You know, they just came back from the hospital, and the little boy just kept pestering his parents, oh, I've got to have some alone time with my baby sister. Please, I need some alone time with my baby sister. And, you know, the parents, you know, they've read the books on sibling rivalry, and they're thinking, wow, what's he want to do? Be alone with the baby sister. But finally, he would not let this go. So the parents, you know, stood outside the nursery while the little boy walks in, and he, you know, walks up slowly to the little crib, and he looks over, and he goes, tell me about God. I'm starting to forget. And I just love that story because, you know, we come in knowing we're connected to this big force, and then we learn these rules like, oh, we have to try really hard, and we have to do this and do that and follow these seven steps. And so it's almost learned right out of us. You know, like kids, I mean, I think as a parent, our best thing we could do is tell our kids, follow your joy, follow what makes you feel most alive. But instead, we're taught to play it safe, to be careful. I mean, we're taught just the exact opposite of what's really the best for our well-being. So I think I think you're right. I think we do have to learn it, but it's only because we unlearned it when we started school, when our, you know, our cultural programming taught us that, that the world was different than the way it really is. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, I remember as a kid, I kind of pretty much got everything I wanted because when you want something, I remember wanting a bike, and I remember – uh, and I'm probably dating myself, but I remember when J.C. Penney used to have their catalog, and I would always wait on the Christmas catalog, and <laughs> and I would cut out the things that I wanted way in advance, and I would put them, you know, over my room, probably the vision board before the vision board, so to speak. And I would <laughs> you just, invented the vision board, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> I, I didn't even know it, but I would just put these pictures and everything around my room, or put them in my drawer, and then I would just look at them every day. 
And by the time, you know, Christmas came around, I would get everything that I wanted. So, but you, you, you forget these principles and I don't know why we forget them, but uh, it's just been, like I said, two and a half years where I have, have awakened to this, this power that you talk about. And one of the things that I've been alluding, well, really concentrating on lately is letting success be easy. A lot of times I think, so you, you kind of talked about this when you explained yourself earlier, but how we tend to make things hard. I'm like, well, why can't the success be easy? And again, going back to beliefs and, and starting to talk about beliefs, is that because we have these certain beliefs that are actually shaping our world? Like, for instance, when you look at someone's story, like I was looking at Steve Harvey's story, and you, you have several stories about Michael Beckwith, um, some other stories in your book where these people had this innate power that they kind of let them allow themselves to guide them. But looking at Steve Harvey's story, I um, saw how he was sleeping in cars and all this stuff. And now I see his massive success. But I was thinking in the back of my mind, wow, what if Steve Harvey let success be easy instead of believing that it had to be hard? Would it, would his story turned out totally different? But going back to that, what about beliefs? How do our beliefs uh, shape our world? Well, I believe that, um, you know, that there's this unlimited substance out there in the universe, and then we draw into our lives whatever we put our attention upon. So, you know, okay, I talk a lot about quantum physics, you know, in this big giant field. I call it the field of infinite potentiality. Um, You know, quantum physicists call it the field. I mean, it's been called all these different things. But so, like, every possibility exists out there. Every probability, you know, they call it a superposition. Any one of those is possible. However, we start thinking and focusing and believing in one, and so we collapse the wave, meaning that we draw that into what we can see with our physical eyes. So actually, we don't really even see the world as it really is. All we see is our little condensed version that we've decided about that's the way it is. So basically, what you believe influences everything. I mean, everything starts with a thought. You know, thoughts become things. I mean, that is, I mean, look at the iPhone. You know, it started as, a, as an idea, you know, that Steve Jobs and his engineers or his computer designers came up with, and by continuing to focus on it, continue to think about it, now there's, you know, like 700 million of them out there that we've stuffed into our pockets. So, um, so you know what I mean? It's just like what we think about, we bring into form. And that is really what we're here. We're expanding the universe. But sadly, so many of us are thinking about the same old things we thought about yesterday, or we're thinking about those things, those cultural paradigms that we were taught as kids. But you know, there's just so much more possible. I mean, anything's possible. Literally, it's an infinite, an infinite um, degree of things that are possible. Yeah, your book said we have 60,000 thoughts. Um, With those 60,000 thoughts, how many of those thoughts do we need to have that are positive versus uh, negative? And uh, the second part of that question would probably be, do we even need to believe in this, this field of potentiality in order for it to work? No, in fact, it works all the time. But the problem is it works. It's just reflecting back to us what we're thinking. So we, we can't not use it. The problem is we're not consciously using it. We're just using it to, you know, repeat the same old thing over and over and over again. When we use it consciously, when we, when we actually make intentions and decide what we want, just like you, you know, pasted those, or I don't know if you said you pasted them, you cut out those pictures of those various things, mm-hmm. and you looked at them. So you were actually putting attention into that. So you ended up animating them into your life. But what most of us do, we're paying attention to the bad things that are happening or about how hard we have to work or how I'm a victim of this or we're a victim of that. So instead of thinking about all the possibilities, instead of being grateful for this beautiful world, we're focusing on this little tiny um, viewpoint about what's possible. And so that's what we're getting. So yes, we are using the field of infinite potentiality, but we're using it for this little tiny condensed abridged version of life. Yeah. How important is it for us to be flexible? Because I know one years ago, I was very rigid 
I was like, okay, if I want this, um, I have to do this. And what I'm realizing now is that it's so important to be flexible because you don't know. I've had some things come to me in so many roundabout ways that it's, it's kind of startled me. But how important is it for us to be flexible to let the universe kind of, you know, or the, the feel of potentiality work that magic for us? Oh, I think it's so important because, see, here's what happens. Okay, let's say we make an intention, and then we decide how it's going to happen. Well, okay, I don't know about you, but I have a very limited pea brain. So I can only, you know, my ideas of how this could happen are pretty limited. But the universe has, you know, all these different ways that something can happen. Like the classic example, so many people buy a lottery ticket. They go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the lottery. Well, that's fine, and some people do win the lottery. But the universe has literally infinite ways it can bring you the thing you think the lottery ticket, you know, you want that lottery ticket because you think you want the money, but there are millions of other ways that that money can come to you. So you kind of tie the universe's hands behind its back by telling it how you think it should happen. So being flexible and being open, I like to call it the crockpot principle. You know, you just throw it in the crockpot and say, okay, here's what I want. You know, those pictures that you, that you cut out, here's what I want. Let the universe figure out how it's going to happen. Because honestly, we don't know. We think we do, but we don't know. We have no idea all the big plans and all the, you know, big things it can do. You know, we, we, have, no, we have no clue, but it does. It, it, the universe, this higher intelligence, this divine force, it knows exactly how to make these happen. And the more we can get out of the way, the quicker it can happen and the better and easier it can happen. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. I'm like, okay, well, I want this. I'm just going to get out of the way and let the universe bring it to me. And more often than not, it comes. There's some things out there that I still want, and uh, I'm sure they'll come. It's just a matter of keeping, you know, just being flexible and not being so so rigid. Um, should we start with this field of potentiality with small things? I know for me, I started out with um, – butterflies. And then now I progress to different things. And uh, one of the things I think when I speak with people about uh, this field of potentiality, energy, vibration, whatever you want to call it, a lot of times they want to start with a mansion. <laughs> and it's like, you, you can't build your confidence when a mansion, when you want a mansion, the mansion doesn't happen. But I, I, I figured out that it's always easier maybe to, to start with smaller things. Is that correct? No, you, you make a really good point. I mean, you mentioned that you're a follower of Abraham Hicks. They like to say it's no more difficult to to um, manifest a castle than a button. But what yeah. ends up happening if you go for the mansion, your mind immediately thinks, oh, yeah, right, eat my shorts. You know, you don't really believe it. So you have more thoughts thinking that's too big. But with a button or a feather, you mentioned, or a butterfly, I mean, that's kind of easy. You go, oh, yeah, okay, I can let the universe give that to me because I don't. you don't have any resistance to it. But if you ask for something really big, what happens immediately, those old cultural paradigms, those old constraints that we're operating under, they come up, and they're actually louder, so they have more force. There's more energy in those beliefs that, A, we don't deserve it, or it's too hard, or it's too big, or, you know, just all those limiting beliefs that we've been feeding to ourselves, or our culture's been feeding to us. Um, so, so we get those instead. So that's what we're putting our, our attention upon. But if you say, okay, I want to manifest a butterfly, well, you know, you don't put any attention on the fact that, oh, it's, it's hard to you know, manifest a butterfly. You don't think that's difficult at all. So it, it, it can come right in. If we could get to the point where we think a mansion is easy and no big deal, then it can also come right in. But we do have a lot of, um, you know, old belief patterns that tend to get more weight in our minds or more in our energy field than that, you know, that beautiful mansion that we're imagining. Yeah. And this takes practice, right? Because I know for me, um, I was, when I first started, I was very haphazard about doing all this like one day I would be into it and the next day I wouldn't be and then I I um started looking at this like when I wanted to be better at basketball I played basketball and when I wanted to be able to, to be better with that I would spend countless hours shooting dribbling doing all the things the, the different drills to become better at basketball and then I was like well why am I not doing that with this and then I started to do that with this and I realized that the results started to be more consistent so is it 
important for us to to practice this to be able to use it on a de- on deliberately Oh, definitely. Well, I think, um, you know, as we get better and better, and that's another reason to kind of start with those baby steps, because, you know, if you make the intention that you're going to have a butterfly and then you do, then you go, wow, this kind of works, and then you can move up to something bigger. But, yes, I think that consistent practice, it's not like you have to sit around and think about it 24-7, but you have to not be thinking about the opposite. You know, like if you get into this frequency of gratitude and joy, to me that's the magic. That's where everything happens when you get into this frequency of, wow, I am so grateful for this. And you start with being grateful for even the smallest little thing, and then it will only grow. I mean, it's like a little seed. Gratitude's a little seed, and it grows into this, you know, big massive mansion if that's what you want or, or whatever it is. So you just start looking for any little signs. And so, yes, that practice is very important. It's like any muscle you're trying to build, any anything you're trying to do. You mentioned basketball. That's a great example. You have to just keep doing it. And our mind is so used to going back into these old familiar ruts about, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this is hard or I can't have this or whatever it might be. And one of the things I say in the book, I say it's kind of like housebreaking a puppy. You just keep taking it back outside and showing it this other reality or, to, you know, showing it where it's supposed to, you know, do its business. So it's just a matter of, um, of sticking with it and really just letting go of the old beliefs. In fact, I don't think it's hard at all. Like some people think, oh, you've got to practice so hard, you've got to make it so hard. I think we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot when we, um, you know, try to make it really hard. It's so easy. It's the most natural thing in the world. But again, we've learned these other ways of being. But, you know, once we kind of make this an intention, and actually one of the really good things to do is say, hey, universe, I'm not necessarily really good at this yet, but, you know, but I want to get better. Help me, show me, lead me to the right people, show me the right books, whatever it might be. And then just kind of let it take the lead you know and then it's amazing how things start happening i mean the right person you just happen to bump into at the grocery store that happens to be the person that could help you produce some idea you have or help you publish some book you want i mean it's just amazing how once we surrender this these miracles just start happening it's like wow what parallel universe have i just you know entered here it's it's really pretty cool yeah, let's talk about one of those miracles because there was a story in the book about the um, wow, what's their names? Um, it, it was about the people that wanted the garden, and uh, was it the caddies? Oh, the people at Fendhorn. Yeah, and they they wanted they had no means of really starting anything, and everything started happening. But uh, share that story with us. Oh, it's just an incredible story. Um, this guy had been uh, fired from his job, and, you know, that wouldn't have been so bad, but except for he had a wife, and I think he had three or four boys, and I can't remember exactly how many he had now. It's been a while ago since I, um, you know, wrote the book. But anyway, so they moved out to this this bare area in Scotland, and they decided, you know, it might be nice to feed their family, so they started growing a garden, but it was an area that there was not good soil. It wasn't the right growing conditions, but they believed that if they turned their, you know, their their thoughts and their intentions over to this higher thing that miracles could happen, that they could make this garden grow. And just by putting their attention upon that, they ended up growing, I mean, these cabbages that were huge. And, I mean, they ended up getting a lot of publicity. And now on that site where they started this garden, um, the boys are all raised. There's a, there's a um, kind of a self-help or a retreat center called Findhorn. And, I mean, they grew beautiful flowers. They grew all kinds of food. And it really is a place now where all these different people go to take classes, to learn about personal development. And it's a very booming, growing center. So it's really a cool story about what happened when they surrendered all their beliefs about what couldn't be possible. And they, you know, just kind of surrendered to this higher force and said, hey, show me. Let We want to have a garden. This is our intention. Show us how to do it. And, you know, like mysteriously, these hay bales would fall off the truck that they needed just at the right time, you know, to mulch their garden. Or, you know, somebody would show up with a packet of seeds or just whatever it happened to be, somebody would show up with it. And one of the things that's been so cool for me since I wrote this book I get stories in my inbox every day from people telling me these amazing stories that have happened to them. I mean, it's just remarkable. I feel so lucky. I feel like, um, you know, I have my own little personal self-help channel. You know, like my inbox is just filled with all these stories that people tell me. And it's just really fun. I wake up every morning to hear a new miracle story. And I think what happens when you start hearing these stories, you know, it's like that little bit of doubt that we all have or that part of us that goes, oh, that can't work. It starts 
it's getting erased. It's almost like they're medicine stories. You know, these are stories that, you know, we go, wow, did that really happen for somebody? And then we start believing, well, maybe that could happen for me. And as we start putting our faith in that idea that, yes, the universe also wants to bless me, also wants to bless each person, then, you know, it's got a, a clear path for those kind of things to come in. But so I'm really, really blessed in that I get all these really cool stories all the time. Yeah, I did one experiment on, on one of your experiments on one thing that was kind of not moving, and I knew it would work. And uh, I, I did it, and I think maybe after the first day it worked. So I, I won't I won't share the audience what it was, but but it, it did work, and I, I knew it was going to work. But um, I just wanted to to just try the very first experiment. Um, you had a statement in your book called uh, "Using Energy Inadvertently," which I call scattered energy. How important is it to to focus to use that focus when you're you're on on the energy or the feel of a potentiality? Well, I think it's it's really important. I mean, and you're right, it is sort of scattered energy. You know, it's like on one hand we want this, but on the other hand we want that, or we, we, we think we want this, but then what if this happens? You know what I mean? So our thoughts are literally bouncing all over the place like a pinball machine. I mean, they're literally not focused. We want our thoughts to be like a laser, you know, totally all going, all the energy waves going in the same direction. So, yes, to describe it as scattered energy is very uh, is, a, is a really good description. But, yes, we want to get our energy all going in the same direction. And, again, when you get on that frequency of gratitude and joy, it is all going in the same direction. You don't have that kind of resistance that can stop it from coming in. So focus is a good word, but I think it's, it's um, kind of about a frequency. You know, like you get on this particular frequency where you start, like I said, being grateful, being joyful. And that is just a wide-open channel where this field of infinite potentiality can work in your life. And it's going to um, – well, it answers everything that you think, but it helps you when you're thinking on this gratitude frequency. You're thinking more positive thoughts. You're having higher expectations. You're believing that, you know, you're loved and that you're worthy and that, you know, you deserve to have all those things that, you know, you put on your vision board or that you've intended for your life. Mm-hmm. Going back to you, you mentioned maybe thinking the same thing, so we keep getting the same things. Um, when you change your thoughts, is that the mechanism that kind of actually changes your reality? So you you find a, a better thought. Right, exactly. And, I mean, sometimes, you know, we have these patterns of thought that we've been doing over and over and over again. In fact, in our brains, we have these neural pathways, you know, it's like all these neurons start forming together about the same things we've been thinking about over and over and over again. But once you start, you know, thinking a little bit more gratefully and thinking a little bit more intentionally, you actually can rewire those neural pathways in your brain, so I don't remember exactly what your question was now, but but yes, we do start thinking differently, um, and it doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but you start noticing, like one thing that's really powerful is you start noticing the words that are coming out of your mouth. One of the things I like to say is, you know, who needs a fortune teller? Just listen to what you're saying about your life. Like people say things like, oh, things never work out for me, or, or this is really hard. I mean, I always say that the word hard is like the most dangerous four-letter uh, word in the entire English language because people say that all the time. Oh, it's so, so hard to do this. You know, even though you think you're intending it, but you're still thinking it's hard to do. So I say get rid of that four-letter four-letter word, the word hard. Yeah, people say hard and try all the time. <laughs> try is like mm-hmm. one of those mm-hmm. words that I'm going to to. I always tell people maybe eliminate that from your your uh, your vocabulary. Um, you mentioned the brain. And uh, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the reticular activating system, um, that part of the brain, and what its uh, responsibilities are. Um, well, okay, so like your brain has all these pathways, and so certain areas, you know, kick off certain certain particular feelings. And so when you get on these feelings of joy, of gratefulness, of happiness, like when you get, when your system, when you get into these, you know, your, your brain starts dumping these chemicals like endorphins and things that make you feel good, like these happy chemicals. And then it's like your neural pathways can change. 
So, um, so your brain is like just a real representation of the kind of thoughts that you're having. Yeah. Um, something else I want to talk about, and this is something that I, I kind of had to kind of rekindle in myself. And that was, um, especially as an adult, and that was imagination. Um, I forgot all about my imagination as I became an adult. And one of the things that I've kind of rekindled in myself is just knowing and being able to dream again. How important is our imagination? Well, to me, it's everything. Our imagination is everything. Because unless we can imagine something, unless we can believe something is possible for us, it can never be possible for us. So we have to be able to imagine it. Like, for example, when you're trying to manifest something, if you can imagine, like, let's just use an example of, say, you want to manifest a particular car. If you can imagine yourself sitting in that car, kind of how, you know, the leather might feel as you're sitting there, you know, what the song might be on the radio, um, you know, what you might be seeing out of the, you know, over the dashboard. So if you can imagine, you start imagining you know, whatever it is and how it might smell, how it might feel, how it might taste. I mean, all those kind of, you get all those senses and imagination going, then it becomes more concrete. It starts, you know, um, solidifying into your material reality. So imagination is so, so important. I mean, like every every book that was written, you know, came from imagination. Every, mm-hmm. well, every product that we see started in somebody's imagination. So imagination is really key. In fact, I've got a TED Talk out there. It's, it's about creativity. And I say that um, every single day is what I recommend for people, that they should try to come up with three new ideas. You know, use your imagination to come up with three new ideas. And, again, that's also like a muscle that you exercise by using your imagination. And, you know, at first you might come up with some really kind of boring whatever ideas, but as you, as you start doing it day after day after day, I mean, all these amazing things can flow into you. Because if you start making it a priority to use your imagination, the muses or the field of potentiality, this other kind of higher force, it'll say, wow, I think I can depend on this person. It'll start using you as its secretary, so to speak. It will start giving you these great ideas. So I think it's really important. Imagination to me is super important. I mean, I've used it a lot in my own life. It's, it's you know, for me, it's everything. Yeah. What about intentions? Because your book, when I, I, I had forgotten about making intentions, and when I ever, whenever I've made intentions, like, for instance, I said, oh, you know, if I'm doing talk in front of someone, I always have an intention of maybe I affect one person or two people or whatever it is. But your book reminded me again of making intentions. What's the importance of really making that that first intention? Well, it's like this field of infinite potential that they can do and can be and can create anything. If you don't give it an idea of what you want or make an intention – How's it going to know what to do? It's just going to keep following those same marching orders that's been following all along. So once you make an intention or you say, okay, this is what I want, a goal, I mean, you can call it anything you want, then it's almost like it has new instructions. It's like you've changed that neural pathway in your brain, if you want to go back to the brain idea, or that field of infinite potentiality will say, oh, okay, so this person wants this. And it starts looking for things that might match that. So making those intentions is very important. Why can't we see that intention at first? This was one of the one things that kind of had me hung up when I first started this whole process of wanting to manifest things is because I would make the intention. But again, I wanted to be able to see all the steps, how it all fit together. But once we make that intention, why can't we see it at first? Well, because it's not here yet. I mean, it's here on an energetic realm because once you make an intention, it exists on some reality, but it's mostly an energetic reality. But you have to collapse the wave, you know, from this big field so it comes into your field of sphere, you know, your your field of vision, your, you know, sphere of influence. So 
I mean, some people, there are some people that are so evolved, like in India, that they can literally pull things out of the air. And I know, I mean, and I know what happens we hear that, we go, oh, how can that be? But that's the exact kind of belief that blocks it from happening, because we believe that can't mm-hmm. be possible. But it's happened. I, I read a book um, written by this um, professor of psychology from Iceland University, and it's all about this guy he followed around in India that could literally pull jewels out of the air. I mean, it's just, just incredible. So for there, there are people that are able to do that, but for the most of us that have all these other beliefs that that's hard to do and that you have to go to the store to buy something or, you know, whatever our beliefs might be, then we have to, um, you know, we have to, you know, do the things that our beliefs tell us have to be done. Because, again, the universe is going to conform to whatever we believe. So if we believe that um, in order to have money we have to go to a job, then, of course, that's what we're going to have to do because that's the belief, that's what we expect. If we believe, as I do, for example, that money comes to me unexpectedly, it just comes up, it shows up in the most unusual places, that's what happens to me. So it's like whatever your belief is, that's what you're going to you know, see resulting in your life. Yeah, I would I would certainly agree with you on that. Um, one of the things that I found was a bit of a challenge for me when I first began this was focusing on what I want. A lot of people think they focus on what they want, but again, I found out through my own process and through my own experimentation over the years is that I had to get away from focusing on what I didn't want. And I think more people think that they focus on what they want, but most people are focusing on what they don't want. Can you kind of elaborate on that? You are right on there. That is exactly what happens. So when people make an intention, all they're doing is think about how they don't have it. I mean, that's exactly what happens. They're focusing on, okay, like say, let's say, for example, you want to have a relationship. I mean, you know, a new relationship or whatever. So instead of focusing on, oh, wow, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to have such a great time. We're going to do all these things. And if you start thinking about that, but instead you start thinking, oh, I'm lonely. And when's this person going to show up? And I wonder if it's that person. So you're really putting most of your energy and attention on what you don't have, not on how excited you're going to be when you do have it. Because every single subject is like two subjects. You know what I mean? It's the it's the having it and the absence of it. And it was sort of the absence of it that got you thinking about it in the first place. So mm-hmm. so if you stay there on the absence of it, which is what most people do, um, then, then it's not going to show up. You have to really really put your attention on how cool it's going to be and how much fun it's going to be. And, and again, you know, use your imagination of what it's going to be like, how it's going to smell, how it's going to look, how it's going to taste, all those different things. And then it's, it's free, to, free to show up in material form. Yeah, another thing that kind of stopped me for a while, too, uh, and something that I had to kind of rethink and, and reevaluate, and uh, this might be controversial for people that are out there, but, you know, so what? It needs to come out. But uh, <laughs> some, sometimes I think religion kind of places limits on us because, I mean, when I grew up, I went to church. My grandmother took me to church and all these things, and I always grew up um, thinking that, God, the universe, or whatever people out there may call it, was so was vengeful. There was someone out there that if I didn't do right, I would all, you know, they, I was going to a different place or whatever. And one of the things I had to expand my mind on, and you alluded to this earlier in the, the broadcast, was that the universe actually loves us. The universe wants to bring us the things that, that we have. But some things that I, one thing that I found on my own personal journey was that religion kind of maybe tainted that for me. Do you think that religion may put some limits on on some people? Well, you know, it's the saddest thing in the world because here's this force that is so cool. I mean, this is like a transcendent force that loves us. It's nothing but love. But somehow or another, you know, we've come up with these other ideas about what God is, and we actually kind of think of of God as this judgmental prick. I mean, you know, that's what a lot Mm -hmm. of people think of God as, and as long as they believe that, then they're going to get that kind of a, a thing. So, no, it's so important to realize how much we are loved and, and how beautiful this force is and how, how much it does want to guide us and bless us. And it never judges us, ever, ever. Most people think it's like, 
you know, it's up there in this little ivory, ivory tower judging us and calling us out. That's not how it works at all. In the book, he squared, I don't know if you saw it, I've got all those whoppers that we believe about the universe mm-hmm. or God. I mean, one of the things, you know, I always like to say, it doesn't really matter what we call this force. What matters is that we call it forth, you know, that we call it forth, that we use it. But there's just so many myths and beliefs that we have about God that are completely wrong. In fact, they're the exact opposite of the way God is. If you want to call it God or the universe or, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter what you call it. And God doesn't care what you call it. I mean, you know, it it doesn't care. Yeah. Um, since this is a health and wellness show, I wanted to talk to you, and I believe it was about, I'll talk about one principle, and then I wanted you to maybe a little bit later on give give one of the other experiments that you like the best. But since it's health and wellness, um, I came across the, the Jenny Craig principle, and this is something that I've been trying to tell people for a long while now um, about how we think about food and how it affects us energetically and um you know, how we think about our bodies and how you can use this field of potentiality or energy to kind of shape your body and get the body that you want, no matter what, you know, no matter what you're eating or how much exercise you give it. But talk a little bit more about the Jenny Gregg principle. And actually, you made me go to Netflix yesterday and put I am into my my uh, list so I could watch that. And I, I had no idea that existed, but I'm going to watch. I didn't get a chance to yet, but I am. But talk again oh, about the Jenny so Craig. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Well, the Jenny Craig principle, you know, I call all my principles kind of funny names, but basically what it says is that our thoughts and consciousness provide the scaffolding for our physical body. Yes. And so our body is literally eavesdropping on everything we're saying. And so when it comes to weight loss or health, I mean, people are saying, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. It's almost like we have this love-hate relationship with our food, with our body, and we're always feeling guilty. Oh, I shouldn't have done this or I should have done this. Well, your body's listening to all that, and it's actually responding. And so... When we love ourselves, when we, you know, love our food, when we put kind thoughts into things, it actually helps our body. I mean, it helps our body be healthier. It helps us have, you know, the correct weight. So it only behooves us to, you know, think positive thoughts about what we're eating, what we're doing. It's just, it's so important. Our thoughts, you know, impact everything. Yeah, and one of the things that um, it wasn't on the I am uh, the experiment on the I'm sorry not experiment but the documentary where they had plugged these I guess electrodes into the food. Can you explain that experiment and what happened? Yeah, that was so amazing. But um, Tom Shadiak, he's the guy the guy that uh, produced the movie. He's the guy that worked a lot with Jim Carrey. You know, he did the movie Liar, Liar and um, Ace Venture and a lot of Jim Carrey's kind of famous comedies. This guy was the director of it. And what he ended up doing is he became really more interested in energy and spirituality. And so he decided to do this documentary about the fact that we really, even though we think we're fighting each other all the time, that's actually in nature and in life, you know, things work together really well. But one of the things he did, he went over to the HeartMath Institute. It's this place in... um, California, where they actually study how our emotions um, affect the world. But so what happened is he was sitting there in front of this bowl of yogurt, and they put these little electrodes in the yogurt. And then Roland McCready, who's the director, the research director there, would was asking him these questions. And this little, um, the hand on the meter of would just like go crazy. Like he'd say something to him about, oh, um, how, how do you feel about your ex-wife or something like that? And this, this little meter could just read his thoughts. So this yogurt that was sitting in front of him was actually reading his thoughts. And he wasn't even hooked up to it, but, you know, it was reading it through the ethers. Or he asked him about his lawyer, and, again, this thing just went crazy. And, I mean, it's all there on camera. It's really pretty remarkable just how much intelligence that our food has and kind of how this all came to light. I don't know if you remember this part of the book, but that guy that used to do polygraph tests, he, he happened mm-hmm. to throw some coffee on um, a plant one time in his office. He was bored one night, and he, he, like, dumped his coffee on his plant. And he had hooked up his um, polygraph machine to this plant, and it was registering. It's like these plants were actually... Uh, heeding what he was saying, it was they were actually responding to him, and that was like such a, 
you know, shocking thing. He ended up writing a whole book called The Secret Life of Plants. But anyway, um, it's just it's just interesting how much we are interacting with the food we eat, with with all these things around us that we think are inert objects. They're actually paying attention to what we're thinking and saying. Yeah. There's one thing you talked about in a book that I think that um, – hits a lot of people when I talk to a lot of people and I believe you made the analogy of maybe Mississippi and New Orleans like when you want something you have to really if you say you want to go to New Orleans you have to keep focusing on New Orleans but instead a lot of people will focus back on Mississippi and therefore they never get to uh, New Orleans and I guess that's focus but I found out that again, from speaking to a lot of people, this is what happens, and this is maybe what keeps them from manifesting the things that they want in their life. Because instead of focusing on New Orleans, they turn back and start focusing on Mississippi, and therefore they never get there. Exactly, exactly. Well, in fact, one of the things I said in there is like, okay, so so let's just say Mississippi is where you are now, and New Orleans is where you want to go. Just for example, I think I use Biloxi to, to New Orleans. It doesn't matter, you know. It's like yeah. you want to get from one place to the next place. So you start out and you're really excited and you're skipping along, think, oh yay, I'm heading towards New Orleans. But then we start going, oh, you know, do I want to go back to to Biloxi? And then we start doubling back and we look around because it's you're not there yet. It's just like you put something into your GPS. Well, it knows how to get there, but as you're going there, it doesn't look like it yet. You know, you just start moving, and the GPS will tell you how to get there. But what ends up happening, because people aren't there yet, they start, oh, no, why aren't I there yet? They don't just trust the GPS. They don't trust or, I mean, some people, they'll trust their GPS, but they won't trust, you know, this intention that they made or this, um, you know, using the imagination and focusing on what they want. So they start doubling back, and they and they, they go back to where they came from instead of continuing to move towards the thing that they're wanting. Yeah, I used to be like that. I'm like, okay, I want this, but don't know. <laughs> I would never get it. Um, Pam, what's your favorite experiment in this? And then... The second part of that is why are all the experiments for 48 hours? Well, I don't know that I have a favorite experiment. One of the one that's been a lot of fun for me, and I'll and this might be fun to tell your listeners, um, it's the the one with the magic wands or the Albie Einstein principle, and mm-hmm. that one's fun because it's so visual. And if you go to YouTube and you you know Google or just Google my name and Albert Einstein wands, you'll find all kinds of videos of people that you know, did these videos or did the wands and then they made YouTubes of it. So it's really fun to to watch those. So I've enjoyed that. And the thing that's cool about that too, it's very visual. What ends up happening, you know, you hold these wands and then you have these thoughts and you watch how the how your thoughts are affecting these wands. So it's really, really visual and it convinces a lot of people that are kind of skeptical. So that one's really fun. And that one doesn't even take forty eight hours. Um mm-hmm. but I do okay, here's why I suggest forty eight hours. Time, of course, is an illusion. You know, in the quantum world, time is but an illusion. However, what really the reason I say do 40 hours because it jars us into paying attention because we're already connected to whatever we want, but we're not noticing it because we're, you know, again, thinking about something else. We're paying attention to other things. So by giving yourself 48 hours, by giving yourself a time frame, you're convincing your mind, you're convincing yourself to be open enough to look for these blessings that the universe is bringing you. So it's really not for the universe or trying to challenge the universe. It's just getting you to pay attention. So that's yeah. why I put the time frame on it. Yeah, one of your your last one, I can't remember what it was called, but um, I came across this concept several months ago, and once I kind of um, invited this in, so to speak, it's kind of – transform our world more so um, I learned it inside the Abraham Hicks principles but it's really transformed my world and uh, I forget what you it's the last experiment can't remember what you call it but um, it's the 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 concept of we are all connected and I believe it kind of correlated to getting someone to call you out of the blue or something to that effect but um, explain that concept of us being just all connected because Especially right now with what's going on in the world, um, sometimes I think that we forget that. But, again, it's changing my life when I look at me as being connected with all things, all within all people. 
Right. We are all one. And it's just an illusion that we are separate things. And here's the honest truth. We can't do something to someone else without it actually affecting us. So the reason we want to be loving and open to everyone, because it's like being loving and open to ourselves. So anytime we harm someone else or do anything, think a negative thought, say something bad, whatever it is about somebody else, we're actually harming ourselves because we are all one. In the book, I call it the 101 Dalmatians Principle, only because remember in that cartoon thing where, you know, the one – the basset hound out in the country would bark to the Scottish Terrier and on and on and on, you know, so that they would get the message way back then. So it, what I challenge people to do in the experiment is to actually send out a message um, to someone out there and, and then get an answer back or, you know, have them respond in a certain way. And I've heard so many fun stories about that. But I do love this idea that we are all one. In fact, if, if, you, if that idea resonates with you, you will really like the movie I Am. When you see that, you know, the one you just said you put in your queue, you will really enjoy that because it talks a lot about that. You know, there's that Ubuntu principle from South Africa that says, I am because we are. I mean, you know, we are all one, and that's just so important for us to remember and to really – I mean, see, to me, that's what I'm more interested in now in these days. Instead of manifesting things, I want to manifest a different paradigm, a paradigm of love, of possibility of us seeing that we're all one that we're all brothers i mean there is just you know there's no separation but we believe like we're these isolated individuals and we're not so i so that's what i'm all about these days is trying to change the dominant paradigm yeah last question and um it has to do with your bio because i was reading out and, and preparing for the show and getting my questions ready and uh part of your bio said that everything wasn't real um, yet you hadn't manifested everything yet in your bio. Um, talk oh. <laughs> a little bit about that. How how important is it for us to put things out there, maybe even write them down, even though they're not true, and then tell us what part of your bio isn't true? Oh yeah, I think uh, in my bio, I, I have it on my website that I yeah. was let's see a best-selling author. What did I say? Um, I don't remember now. A world traveler, um, a loving mother, a expiring witness to everyone I meet and every or something. Anyway, there were like four or five things and a millionaire. So I said, yes, all of the above things are true except for one. And I'll let you guess which one has yet to come to fruition. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I had just listed five things that I was in my bio. So that's, that must be what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Which one isn't true. You want me to guess? Well, <laughs> maybe they're all true now. You know, yeah, after it's the success been a while. of the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it actually they've all come to fruition, but at the time I wrote that bio, um, one of them had not come to fruition and that you know, so it was just a matter of time. And again I knew it was a matter of time because that's what I pronounced to be to be the fact. So yeah. that's what ends up happening. Yeah, it's so important to write things down and maybe what I call change your story. And I've been practicing that lately about just changing my story. Even if you don't believe the things yet if you write them down and you put the energy and put the attention on them it it basically ends up happening i think um just talking to you tonight and everything that i've kind of experienced in my life a lot of times again we change our story but we kind of change it to the same thing over and over again because we're having those same thoughts over and over again instead of having these different thoughts and really focusing on what we want yeah, I heard it. I just did a blog post about this. You know, the, the guy, um, Scott Adams, that does the comic strip, Dilbert. Have you ever seen that comic strip? Yes, yes, very familiar. Well, anyway, he talked a lot about how he affirmed things. And he, okay, so he, someone had told him, hey, if you start thinking these things, you can make it happen. He goes, oh, yeah, right. She goes, well, she challenged him. She, he had taken a, a, a hypnosis class with him. And so she challenged him to do that. And so he decided, this is like back when he was in high school, and he decided he was going to get this girl who he thought was a 10. You know, this is, he's still in high school. And he says, he goes, I'm only a 6'5". He goes, but, but you know, this girl's a 10. And so he started affirming that he was going to attract this girl. And, you know, he kept saying it and writing these affirmations. Next thing you know, he's dating this girl. Then he did it on his, um, his 
tests that he had to do to get an MBA, or you know, because he wanted to get into Berkeley, he wanted to get into this particular school, and so he needed like a whatever score it was. But the first time he took the test, he'd only gotten like 100 points less, and he said, "I did the best I could do." But he just kept visualizing, you know, that envelope coming that has the score on it with the score that he needed, and he just kept yeah. visualizing. Sure enough, it comes, and he gets that exact score that he needed to get in. And then he made the intention that he was going to be a world-famous cartoonist. And sure enough, Dilbert is, you know, now, um, you know, syndicated into like 250 newspapers or something like that. It's really kind of an inspiring story, you know, about someone who a lot of us know. A lot of us read that comic strip, and it's like, wow, he, he's just like us doing the affirmations and, um, you know, making these things happen. So so it's kind of cool. Yeah. You don't have to sell me. I, I mean, I didn't get into this very heavy until about two and a half years ago, but I remember one day I had um, was rearranging some books in my office and I went into my senior, senior yearbook, my high school yearbook. And I looked at, and they have a little section in there and they, and it says, what will you be doing in 10 years? And then it says, what, where will you be living in 10 years? And I wrote on that, that thing where you will be living. I wrote that I would be living in Florida and I'm now living in South Florida, and when I look back on how it happened, the events that led me here to Florida, it was like it couldn't have been choreographed any better. Like how I got down here, I, I was like one thing happened, and this thing happened, and I wrote it down in my senior year of high school, and I just forgot about it. And it wasn't until maybe three or four years ago I was sitting in the office, I pulled that book back out, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> it has to be something to this so for you know for the yeah that's so cool and you know that's what happens i think is we forget that we even made that intention like had you not gotten out that yearbook you might not even remember that you had said that i think that happens all the time we get a lot of things that we thought about but we just sort of blank them out or you know what i mean they just go out of our memory and we need something to kind of remind us so that's cool that you happen to run into that and, and and you know that whole belief was just cemented it even further so that's cool yeah, and your book always reminds me, just reading that and reading the other materials that I study as well, it just reminds me that you have to learn how to use this power, energy, feel of potentiality, whatever you want to call it, deliberately in your life. And that's one of the things that I'm constantly thinking, how can I use this more deliberately? How can I be better with this? And how practice, practice, practice until I come what I would call a master manifester. But um Great talking to you, Pam Grout. Um, this is a subject that I've been really big on lately and uh, something that I'm wanting to kind of use to help people with their struggles with their diet and body image and, and different things. So I really uh, applaud you for, for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and, and uh, have a good day or good evening. <laughs> All right, Pam. Thank you so much. And your website is, uh, you have one here that I have, pamgrout.com. Is that it? Pamgrout.com, yeah. And then the other one is, is my travel web, website. But for people interested in this topic, the pamgrout.com is probably the best way. I've got a blog on there with a whole bunch of information about this kind of stuff that people can look at. Yeah, and E2 is located on Amazon, right? Yeah, E Squared's on Amazon. Any bookstore can get it within a day. It's it's pretty popular. It's been translated into forty languages. It was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. It became a big hit. So that was really cool for me. Well, congratulations on all that, and thank you for kind of bringing this energy study stuff to the masses. And I'll I'll, I'll share with people once you get into this stuff, you're going to start going deeper and deeper and deeper because I read so much stuff, and your book was kind of one of those other things, and then now it's kind of like really uh, catapulted into other different things and, and beginning to get deeper. So once you start this stuff for the audience out there, you're going to want to know more about it. And you're going That's to right. You can't undrink the Kool-Aid, you know? Yeah, yep, you can't undrink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Pam Grout, thank you for your time tonight. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything in the future. Yeah, same to you. Thank you so much, Darren. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. If anyone, any of you have any uh, questions about manifestation, using energy, how you might want to use these principles, because I'm telling you, just discussing this with Pam tonight, everything can be easy. It's just our belief that it has to be difficult. We have to struggle, uh, struggle with our weight. We have to struggle 
with our eating and it's based upon a belief. If you believe that you have to struggle, obviously you will struggle. But if you believe that you can, it can be easy, you believe that you can drop weight easily, you believe, believe that you can eat healthy foods easily, that's just what it becomes. So if anyone of you have any questions about this stuff, feel free to email me at perfectlyhealthandtoneradio at gmail.com, and I'll be glad to kind of help you and steer you in the right way with these principles because again we live in this house and the roof is made of beliefs and if you want to elevate yourself and go to a different level you got to kind of knock that roof off and change your beliefs and beliefs are so easy for us to change it's just thoughts that we keep thinking and therefore we keep building the same house over and over again but once you change your thoughts and think a better thought then it kind of reshapes your house, so to speak. And I'm using analogies here. But again, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. And thank you for listening tonight. Peace and love, y'all. I'll see you Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. We'll be talking to uh, Shannon. I believe Shannon's last name is Walker. She's a holistic nutritionist. We'll be talking about uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease. So again, peace and love, y'all. Good night. Thanks for listening.